Thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. Just to mention that Pastor Ian is uh, in Carnforth at the Remembrance Sunday um, service there, being involved in that. Uh, as we continue our journey uh, in the book of First Samuel, uh, we will be looking at leadership this morning. And uh, I guess it's, it's always topical, but uh, if you're a political buff, you probably realize that... Uh, this week has been uh, particularly interesting for the Prime Minister, the Home Secretary. Uh, I have to be always very careful when I make references to that, just in case I say anything that has any nuance that can upset anybody, so, um, which I don't intend to. Uh, the uh, Home Secretary wrote an article in the Times uh, that hadn't been vetted by Number 10. Uh, it was a, a fairly outspoken uh, piece of writing. Uh, in short, uh, as uh, the technical boss of the police force, she brought some criticism about the way they were handling and a potential bias uh, with regards to the marches that have been happening and will be happening. So obviously all eyes were on the prime minister. What is he going to do? And he's got a faction within the party who uh, thinks that she was out of order. In brackets, I give my little uh, sort of political hack two pence in. I think she's probably vying for a position of leadership in the future, perhaps. So she's positioning herself in a particular place. So people were critical, and they were saying, look, what you need to do is you need to put her right. She didn't check it. She brought probably the ministerial protocol and she needs to be put right, you need to sack her. And probably half of the party is saying that. The rest of the half of the party is saying, no, too right that she's spoken up. Somebody needed to say those things, and we totally agree with her. So he's caught in between a rock and a hard place. If he sacks her, he gets the wrath of those who support her and probably launches unofficially her leadership bid for the future. If he doesn't, he looks like a weak man. As a leader in a totally different environment, I'm very sympathetic to the Prime Minister's plight. Let's say this morning, leadership is hard. Leading is very difficult. And unfortunately, when we look at leadership, uh, both at present and historical all around us, particularly in the public arena, but the church hasn't been spared of this. It looks like a cemetery of failures. There are so many stories that you can think of through your own personal experience where you see leaders who fail. And I think the monuments of honor are few and far between. There are much more present stories of failure than there are successes in leadership. And this morning, we have an opportunity, actually, to look at a leader who, in the Bible, has lived a, a very impressive life and led in a, in a way that is really inspirational for us all. And I think it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to do a little bit of a deep dive into his lead, this leader's life. We're talking about Samuel and really have a sense of what a godly man can be like. And I hope that you might be saying... And it's one of the advantages of preaching to a series. I probably wouldn't have picked up this morning this particular passage. 
But the advantage is that it forces us to look at something that would be very helpful, maybe for some of you who are leaders in this room. Um, and I'm not talking just about church leadership. I'm talking about life leadership. For those of you who are parents or grandparents, you've got a leadership role. For those of you who are involved in your particular field of work, where you're working with other people, you have a leadership responsibility. So I think there is something for all of us in this. But actually, the qualities of leadership that we find here transcend just this particular issue. And probably something that applies to all of us, all my word, how we need to see good leaders in our country. Politically, socially, in education, in every single field of life. And how we need to know how to pray and what to pray for. And that's why I'm suggesting that actually what we're looking at this morning would be really helpful. So setting the context, Samuel has been a prophet. At the time in Israel, God was ruling through men and women that he appoints and raises up. They were called judges. And the judges were functioning as the de facto leaders in the nation. But there comes a moment in the history of the nation in the midst of crisis, not unlike the kind of crisis we uh, are going through right now as a nation, where people were very disappointed about the compromise of some of the spiritual leaders in the nation. On one hand, and on the other hand, they started looking over the fence. And they started looking at what the surrounding nations were doing. And they came to a conclusion, we know how to sort this out. We want a king. So Israel was moving from a theocracy to a monarchy. A theocracy was a place where God was king, and God called through the Spirit and anointed leaders to serve. The, uh, uh, monarchy was what we're experiencing uh, in many places in the world right now, where something is being passed on from father to son in that case, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a family that obtains power and carries on to live through that in an influence. And Samuel receives the news that that's what the people want. It breaks his heart because he knows what actually people are saying is we don't want God as king. It's a rejection of God as king. Instead, we want to have the kind of ruling power that the peoples around us want. And God goes along with it and allows them to carry on. And he says to Samuel, carry on. Identify, I will show you a man that would be suitable as king. And Saul, a, a young man, a, a, a very impressive uh, young man in terms of his stature uh, and, and he, his attitude right at the very beginning, is chosen as king. And they gather all the people at Gilgal and they have this coronation that takes place. And at the back of the coronation, we have this farewell speech that is happening, if I can have it on the screen as well. So it's a farewell speech that Samuel brings. And as part of the farewell speech, actually you can trace the incredible leadership qualities in Samuel's life. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. And the first quality you see there is humility. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. 
Right from the very outset of the speech, you can trace that the heart of the man bleeds humility. Samuel could have resisted this change. Samuel could have held on to his position, wanting to make sure that both for him and for his sons, who were actually very corrupt, this would have been a good thing. But he is very empty-handed when he comes to leadership. And he says to them, I have listened to what you've said and set a king over you. He could have tried to choose a successor. He could have tried to hang on to his position. But instead, he has the humility to listen to the people's request and brings it to God. That's quite significant, actually. Don't just listen to the people's request. Bring it to God. He responds with humility to this. He could have dismissed them. He could have ignored them. He could have postponed the decision. Instead, because he was humble, he said, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm not clinging to my position. It reminds you of the Lord Jesus and Paul when he writes about Jesus' incarnation to the church in Philippi. He he says, Jesus didn't cling on to his position of authority But he stepped into our world and made himself nothing and went all the way to death, even death on the cross. Is that relinquishing of power, holding things lightly that you see very clearly in Samuel's life because he was a humble man? Ministry wasn't about him. The future of Israel didn't start and didn't end with Samuel. It was in God's hand. And that's why he was able to be humble. That's the secret of humility. It isn't about me. It isn't about us. And I think this is an incredible challenge for leaders today. And you would know from your own experience of having leaders that you work with or you submit to or you work under, you find all sorts of types. And you find some that are certainly not humble. Some can be proud, arrogant, And very often that stems out of their insecurity. They can be manipulative. They can bully. All sorts of terrible toxic traits that you can find in those situations. Nothing like that in Samuel's life. He listens to what the people are saying. And he brings it before God. And he's willing to let go of his leadership role. And actually hand it over to Samuel. Even though it wouldn't have been the kind of thing that he would have chosen. And I guess there's something not just for leaders, but it is for leaders. If you're a leader, you want to function like that. You want to live with humility. You want to avoid being arrogant. Arrogance doesn't listen. Arrogance knows best. There's nobody else in the whole world that can have another opinion, another suggestion, another solution. If you're a leader, don't live like that. That's not humble. That's arrogant. And often that comes out of that sort of insecurity. And very much, I I, I think you can see in Samuel's life that he was so God-centered and he was so comfortable and secure in who he was in God's eyes. That's the secret. That he didn't need to impress people. He didn't need to please people. He didn't need to do anything that would have been proud and arrogant. I think there's a little caveat I must throw in here because I think it's really important. It is not humble as a leader to please people. That's not humility. 
Sometimes we can mistake that. Listening to whatever, everything, and anybody tells you and doing this in order to be liked, that is not a sign of humility. That's probably lacking a backbone. Samuel didn't do that. Samuel listened to what people asked. He brought it to God. And when God made a decision, he was ready to step back in humility. The second one is integrity. This is the thing that really uh, you can see right in verses 3 to 5. Samuel is saying, here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you. And also his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing, anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Integrity. Listen, nothing changes throughout history. Power brings perks. When you're in a position of authority and you suddenly have power, you have perks that can come your way. And it would have been so easy for Samuel to err in either of those two ways that wouldn't have shown integrity. One, to have unjust gain through oppressing people and almost stealing stuff from them. The other one is taking bribes. And he's saying, I've lived my life with integrity. I didn't overtax you in order to fill my pockets. And neither did I take any bribes to close my eyes to any injustice that you have done. The man lived with integrity. And that integrity is public. He's able to stand before the people and say, bring it. Bring it. Bring any evidence of something that I've done. And the people publicly declare it. We have found nothing. Your reputation is absolutely stainless. That's an incredible act of integrity in his life. Because he wasn't into it. By that I mean leadership. In order to gain something for himself. Again, it links to that humility and selflessness. And I think that's a challenge for those of us who are in leadership. Of not wanting to be driven by greed or gain. But actually to live with integrity. With honesty, with truthfulness. Jesus himself was tempted by Satan in the desert with those things, with power. And every single time Satan tempted him, he just kept replying, saying, it is written. Jesus didn't bite on the hook that Satan threw at him. And I think there's that challenge of integrity for us in leadership. How do we lead? Do we lead with integrity? I remember a story that uh, Stuart Briscoe used to tell. Stuart worked in the bank, and um, in one situation, the boss at the bank, uh, as he was a, a young apprentice, came up to him and he said, uh, Stuart, if Mr. So-and-so is ringing, tell him I'm not in. And Stuart said, are you planning to go out? And he said, no, I just don't want to speak to him. So Stuart said, let me get this right. You want me to lie for you? And the man said, 
don't, don't cause trouble. What's wrong with you? Do what I'm telling you. So Stuart was a little bit afraid and a little bit flustered. But with a little bit of quick wit or maybe some of the Holy Spirit's guidance, he came back to him and he said these words. You should be happy. Because if I won't lie for you, it's safe to assume that I won't lie to you. Integrity. And we need to display that in our leadership roles, have that integrity in everything that we do. And that applies to all of our lives. How do we live our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus? What kind of public testimony do we give? If you own a business, if you're a tradesman, if you are somebody who makes a promise that you do something, do you keep to your word? Do you charge a fair rate? Do you do a job as good as you possibly can do? Are you punctual? Integrity, keeping your word, doing things in the right way above board. And that's the testimony that you can see in Samuel's life. Loyalty in our families, in our relationships. That's part of integrity as well. Living without lies, without hidden secrets. Just living in integrity. Living in the light. And people acknowledge publicly that he was a leader with integrity. The next thing is bravery. He begins to take them on a history lesson. And he takes them all the way, verses 6 to 18, all the way to the past, to Moses and Aaron, and he keeps telling them and reminding them of how God brought them out of Egypt, how God saved them, how God stepped into the place when the enemies were against them. And when they cried out to the Lord, God helped them. And even when they messed up and they sinned against the Lord, they came with a repentant heart and God welcomed them again and delivered them. And as he gives them that history lesson, he brings a little bit of a challenge in that. And he says this, uh, picking up, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now there is the king you have chosen, the one you have asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, your good God. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. A bit of an awkward moment for uh, Saul standing there. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and the same day the Lord sent thunder and rain, and all the people stood in awe of the Lord and Samuel. And the people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die, for we have added to all of our sins the evil of asking for a king. He can't hold back from giving a little bit of a parting shot of truth to them. He's brave because he tells them the truth as it is from God's perspective. He reminds them of God's faithfulness in the past. He helps them to see that actually the decision they've made is not a smart one. It's not a good one. But he challenges them to, 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 to act well 
in this, and it gives them a warning that things could turn terrible if they do not obey the Lord, even if they got their own way with choosing a king. And then there's a little bit of an interesting sort of signature dish type moment where Samuel does something just to remind them of what they've lost and what they will lose. I love the fact that he is very open in actually putting the focus on God and what God did, but he doesn't hold back in pointing out the mistake that they've made. Truth. And it's so important for them to realize what they have done. But in mix with that truth is the challenge for the, for, for the future. He doesn't, he doesn't get them to stop in that place and say, you guys have screwed up now and you're stuffed. <laughs> he doesn't. He says, okay, you've made a decision. It isn't right, but we've got to move on and you move on with God. And you listen to God and you submit to God, you and the king. Saul standing there, awkward moment, you know. But probably it's what Saul needed to hear in that moment. But then there's this amazing moment when he does something, and this is a shift that begins to happen in the nation. Until now, one of the trademark signs of being a prophet or a judge was a supernatural anointing to perform miracles in the eyes of the people. As far as I'm aware, as soon as the monarchy steps in and they move from a theocracy with anointed leaders as prophets and judges into chosen monarchs, those signs have ceased to happen. And it's almost not like it's that parting shot. Guys, you wanted a king like all the other nations. This is what you'll get, but you will miss out. So he has that supernatural moment where at the time of the harvest, he calls for rain and thunder, and it does happen. And I think it's that visual reminder to say, this is what you guys will have traded off when you want it to be like the other nations. Once again, it's that sense of choices have consequences that we've heard and we will keep hearing throughout this series. And he has the boldness to speak that, which is so important. You made the wrong call. We had a referendum and you made the wrong call. And you need to know it was wrong. But you move forward by submitting to God and by the king submitting to God. And the amazing thing is that it, it, it's, it's really a, a pointy thing about leadership needing to have bravery in it. Leaders need to be brave. And I think if there's anything that we're kind of all nauseated, probably at every end of the political spectrum, it's, it, it's, it's leaders who aren't brave. And Samuel is showing through his preaching, through this last speech, last message he gives, there's a leader, you need to tell the truth. And I think the encouragement for, for, for you, if you're a leader, is, is to have maybe those difficult conversations that you need to have. If they're right and if it's the truth, don't bail out. Don't be cowardly. Do it with incredible gentleness and humility and loads of preparation and loads of prayer. But don't, don't, don't pull away. Don't try to people please. Tell the truth. And I think it's probably a plea for, for us as well, not us, CFM necessarily alone, but us as a church. Don't gag preachers. 
who preach God's word. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking opinions. I'm not talking about philosophy. I'm not talking about ideologies. I'm talking about God's word. If there is something that is written in God's word and a preacher comes and brings what is written in God's word, please do not gag them. Just because we don't like what they're bringing from God's word. Samuel was able to function with bravery as he brought God's word to them. I love the words of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 2.5 he says, You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. To the Galatians he writes, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit they will reap eternal life. There's a directness and an honesty that isn't aggressive, isn't demeaning, isn't judgmental, but it's filled with truth and courage. And good leaders would always do that. Final one is empathy. Look at verses 19 to 25. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. To right, they were afraid. Because they probably realized they made the wrong call. It's a little bit of a... <laughs> when you've got a king after the coronation standing there, it's a little bit late for a bit of a turnaround, right? And you, you and I have been in those kind of situations where we kind of made the wrong call... And you're thinking, well, I'm snookered here. This is a really difficult place to be. And you're filled with guilt and embarrassment. And you're thinking, oh, no. I love the fact that he doesn't leave them there. And there's an incredible empathy in, in, in what he says. He says, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you in the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and the king will perish. He comes with bugloads of encouragement at the end of his message. A good leader builds people up. A good leader is compassionate and caring for them. Some people just build their reputation. I know pastors and preachers who build their reputations of almost being spiritual assassins. They get into the pulpit and they get their bazooka and they, you know, and they keep shooting. And in a kind of bizarre and twisted way, there are congregations and people that just love it. They just go, bring it, you know. One that's standing before you used to be like that. And you get your kicks because you're the guy that visits and you say all the things that the local pastor doesn't say. And you come with your bag, your swagger, you launch your grenades and you pick up your bag and you scoot off and you leave the wounded and the mess behind. I love Samuel's heart. He's a shepherd. 
He's a leader who cares. And he says to them, look, I've given you truth. And this is the thing that we need to realize. The two are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually. We create this sort of imagery on which you get the pastor. And, and I even hear talks amongst pastors and leader circles where is this kind of uh, dichotomy that is created. Oh, well, you know, this particular person, they're great because they tell it as it is. And that person, well, they're nice. They look well after people and, you know, they visit the sick and all that kind of stuff. But it's almost like a downgrading. That's not the case. A good leader in God's eyes, yes, they tell the truth like Samuel. Yes, they care like Samuel. And Samuel is is filled with empathy and, and he says to them, look, don't be discouraged. First of all, look at God and, and look at how good God has been to you and how he has chosen you, how he has carried you. He will not give up on you. So he encourages them to fix their eyes on God. And that's what a good pastor does. He encourages people to fix their eyes on the greatness and the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But then he makes it personal as well. And he says, far be it for me to sin by not praying for you. Because the people are saying, what are we going to do now? We had you and now you're going and we got Saul. And I'm thinking Saul or moment again you know but we I, I will not give up on praying for you I will keep on praying for you and also he says I will keep on teaching you although he's advanced in age he doesn't sign off he doesn't just kind of disappear now and think well the boy is on his own he's still there to help and encourage and build the people up because that's the caring heart the pastoral warm heart that he has for them Reminded them of the great shepherd, the greatest pastor ever, the Lord Jesus. Who when those who were condemned by others, he didn't. He brought forgiveness and grace and a call to a new life. He told people the truth. But he also gave a solution. In an amazing way, you can see in Samuel's life this empathy right at the very end of what he is saying. I think in the context of uh, the world we live in, I think the challenge now is on both ends, on learning to tell the truth with bravery, but also learning to do it with incredible respect and humility and genuine love. And in the midst of a world that is absolutely ravaged by the culture wars, the church of Jesus Christ needs to model something different. And we can only do that as we are filled with Jesus' love and compassion and also with his boldness and truthfulness. Not either or, both and. And I think that's the challenge for, for you as a leader if you're leading how, how do you lead in a way that's empathy-filled? And you could be in charge of people, and sometimes they'll turn up late, uh, and they'll do your head in. You know, how, how do you deal with that? Uh, there'll be people, I had a conversation just before the service, people let you down, you know, you, you, you recruit people, and after four days they realize they make more money by staying home, and they decide to let you down, and you're trying to recruit and build a business. There's so many challenges and which, you know, it's difficult. But how are we going to lead in a way that actually is also compassionate as well as truthful? 
And I guess it isn't just about leadership, but it's about how we are in church as well. I really hope that we will never, ever succumb to let politics or any other things come in the way of, first and foremost, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that trumps everything. We may have different views on things, but that should never, ever ruin the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what you see in Samuel's empathy. I love Paul echoes the same thing, the same pastoral heart for the church in Philippi. And he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. My word. What a beautiful description of the heart of a pastor and a shepherd. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy. Now, I'm pretty sure that if I was to be really honest, I probably, no, I definitely can't subscribe to that. (laughs) Because I'm sure there'd be some moments in time, like there would be if I'm on your prayer list, when you'd be saying, I'm not sure I'm praying with joy for Christy this morning. Because he said something, or he's done something, or he's looked at me, or didn't look at me in a certain way. We go through that in life. What a beautiful, beautiful insight into the heart of another pastor, another good leader like the Apostle Paul. The secret really, both for Samuel and the Apostle Paul, is not in who they were, but in whose they were. It is the God in their life that made all the difference. Let me just bring some practical things that may be helpful. Different things may be helpful for different ones of us. It's clear to say that leadership matters and leaders matter. If we ignore this subject, we do it at our peril, and we end up with terrible people in in, in places of influence. That should always be invested. As I said, the secret was not Samuel. Samuel's not the hero here. Samuel's God is the hero. And it's always the case in the scriptures, in everything that we say. If you're a leader, maybe you want to listen to the message, go through the passage again. And I just want to encourage you, do a little bit of a self-check, you know, on those qualities. Are those kind of things present in my life? How am I doing on them? Where do I need God's touch in order to grow in particular areas where maybe there isn't as much fruitfulness? If you're not a leader, can I just encourage you, pray Pray, 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 pray for your leaders. Encourage them when they do well. Hold them accountable when they don't. There is nothing wrong with, in a wise and caring and humble way, holding people accountable. Every single example within Christendom in the past five or six years of great leaders who have failed is because somebody didn't hold them accountable. So it's not wrong. It's right. It's part of the responsibility. Pray, encourage, hold accountable, and actually do all three. Don't, don't, just, don't just do the hold accountable. There's some people that are great at holding accountable. Bring some encouragement and bring some prayer in that. Aspiring leaders, again, the same kind of thing. Just look into it. If, you, if you're an aspiring, if, if you feel like God is bringing a leadership and developing a leadership gift within you, you know, look at those qualities and just say, God, I, I want to be a godly leader. I want to be somebody who is used by you and honors you and blesses other people. And I want those qualities to be developed in my life. 
There's a real warning, you know, don't hero worship. Part of the reason why we had those failed leaders is because somewhere along the line, they became idols for people within the church. It's what contributed. Sadly, it's the mass of people who are either egging them on or blind or making excuses that enable them to get to that place when they think, I am untouchable, invincible, and I can do anything I want, and I'll get away with it. There's a famous case uh, in Romania where this guy, you know, with a huge following, with a lot of churches, uh, was, was traveling, doing conferences, evangelism conferences, and all that kind of stuff with a group of young people who were his musicians, got involved with not one, but two of the girls in the worship group, got sacked by his denomination with absolute clear evidence, proper sort of uh, trial, if you want, in in, in church. And guess what? He took 800 people from a church of about 1,000 with him, moved about seven miles down the road, and opened another church, and a whole network of other churches, including in the UK. Because the guy's a good speaker. And all the other people that pointed out his compromise were just jealous because their church was not as big as his. And people follow him today. Let's not create a culture of idolatry. And I am sure that Ian and I are probably not in that kind of category. But it might be so seriously. There might be people online that you're following, people that you listen to, people that you look to. And you can get into that. It's like whatever they say, it's like it's got to be right because so-and-so says it. It's just they, it's not meant to be like that. No leader, no pastor, no teacher is, it was intended by God to be like that. Jesus is the true hero. God is the center of our life. And maybe a last thing that, that I, I, I thought about as, as I looked at this, I love this sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of legacy speech that Samuel is giving. A farewell speech, but it's probably more a legacy speech. It's a speech that actually betrays what his passion were, what his values were, what his lifestyle was about, everything that he did and thought. And I thought there might be some of you that could probably identify yourselves with, with Samuel. You've kind of run the race. You've, you've led a business. You, you, you've come to a place in your life where you kind of hand it over to other people. You know, and I, I just want to, 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 to encourage you to continually leave a good legacy behind it. I had a phone conversation. It's going to freak you out. Uh, I had a phone conversation with a, a, a younger leader in our denomination. And I, I was just talking about, you know, uh, as, as a question that he was asking me about how you do things. And I was talking about him. And I, one of the things that I am really passionate about is I, I realize that every pastor is in transition. This is why I said you're going to get freaked out. Every pastor is in transition. There's going to be somebody who's going to come after them, either through them moving on, either uh, you know, for, for them being kicked out, hopefully not, uh, either for them passing away and going to be with the Lord. But every pastor is in transition. There's going to be another pastor coming through. And one of my passions is always that I leave things behind that is going to be so helpful for anybody that comes after me. A good culture in place, uh, good systems, you know, good attitudes, good values, all that kind of good stuff. So he says to me, he's quite a sharp one. He says, are you leaving, man? Where are you going? You know, I said, I'm not going anywhere, but this is the goal of my leadership life. I want to leave things in a good way, things that are done in a way that honors God and enables those who will be coming after me 
to actually benefit from that. It's what I benefited from, from Pastor Allen. It's the things that get passed on. He fought some battles I didn't have to fight, praise God. And he brought some things in that it would have taken me a lot longer to bring in. And this is how God uses us and the things that he places in our lives. And that's why I think it's just so important to have that attitude where we're leaving a healthy legacy behind us, wherever we are on your journey, but particularly for those of us who are kind of thinking, there's going to be a time when I'm handing something over. What state is that in? Is it in a good place? Am I doing everything to empower those who are coming after me? It's probably the one criticism of Sir Alex's reign. Perhaps. Perhaps. It's one of those things that you can see sometimes in businesses or in churches, in ministries, where there's a beautiful preparation for a handover, where somebody does everything right to enable the next person to lead. I'll let you into a secret. This is funny. He won't mind me telling you. But Alan, in the final year of, 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 of serving as lead pastor, he didn't do as much visitation as he would have liked to do. Because he realized that he would probably put a huge amount of pressure on me as I was remaining on my own. And in his kindness, he probably faced some criticism from some of you thinking, I'm not seeing as much of Alan as I would like to. And he took it on the chin, didn't complain, didn't say to anyone. Because he wanted to leave a good legacy behind to enable me to function in a good way. That's the kind of example of servanthood and humility that you see in Samuel's life. Let's keep on praying that God would be at work in the leaders on our nation, in the leaders in the church, so that we could have that beautiful, beautiful testimony at the end. And I'm closing with these words that the Apostle Paul wrote. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May that be our longing too. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we are not tone deaf to what is happening in our nation. And the images we have seen on our screens are heartbreaking. And I may be alone, but I realize that our national leaders have great challenges. And Lord, it can cause us to be filled with despair. Yet as we were encouraged in the worship earlier on, we first and foremost choose to fix our eyes on you as the king on the throne. The ultimate king, the king of the world, the king of the universe. We honor you. We once again declare our submission to you. And we say, Lord, we do not want anything else but for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done. We continue to pray for leaders that you've given to us that they would listen to your voice and have your insight and lead with a heart that pleases you. We pray for ourselves as leaders in the church here 
that we would be godly leaders. We know that if we please you, we will bless our people. We pray for all those in this room who have a a leadership calling and a leadership role. They work with other men and women, that those around them look up to them. Pray that those beautiful qualities that come from knowing Jesus, as Jesus lives in their life, may those qualities, those fruit of the Spirit, grow in them. So they will be men and women who lead with incredible humility, with great integrity, with bravery, and with a real sense of compassion. Thank you that whatever is impossible for us to do, you are the God of the impossible, and you can do it. And we surrender ourselves to your rule once again. Amen.